Hello and welcome to the Of Interest podcast. I'm Gareth Thorne from interest.co.nz. Last Wednesday, November 29, the Reserve Bank reviewed its monetary policy settings for the final time in 2023. The official cash rate, or OCR, was left at 5.5%, where it has been since May. It was widely regarded as a hawkish review, however, with the OCR forecast to reach 5.7% next year and the Reserve Bank moving to dampen financial markets' expectations of a rate cut in 2024. Joining me to discuss this and more is Reserve Bank Governor Adrian Orr. Hi Adrian, and welcome to the Of Interest podcast. It's great to have you with us. Wonderful to be here, Gareth. Look, I thought we'd kick off by chatting a bit about the the market reaction to that um, monetary policy statement. We're sitting here on on the following Monday morning, so a few days down the line. Um, I was looking this morning at a note from Westpac um, who were saying New Zealand rates markets are pricing the OCR currently at 5.5% to be unchanged on February 28th, which of course is your next review, with no further rate hikes in this cycle and an 80% chance of a rate cut in August 2024. So I'm just wondering, you know, are the markets listening to your warnings that there, there are upside risks uh, to inflation and that this needs to be taken seriously? Uh, I think the markets are. I mean, they, they know exactly our purpose, our mandate. Um, they know the starting point for where we are, you know, the asymmetric risks to the inflation outlook at the moment. And, um, you know, we just need to repeat, we're willing to do whatever it takes to achieve our mandate, our low and stable inflation. Uh, market pricing, of course, is driven by many things other than just us holding an overnight cash rate. So, you know, the pricing that you're looking at reflects uh, the global market's international outlook for economic activity and inflation. And I note the US Federal Reserve is having similar challenges as uh, the RBA, the Bank of Canada around the world to say, hey, um, you know, it's too early to start talking about cuts. And in fact, uh, if we get further inflation shocks, um, there may be more work to do. So we're in a holding position, um, but we've made it clear where our nerves sit. And Obviously, February 28th is your next review, so that's three months away, so it's a good long uh, break between meetings, and we're heading now into the the Christmas and summer holiday season, obviously, here in in New Zealand, so I'm sure, aside from enjoying the festivities and and a bit of a holiday, yourself and your uh, Monetary Policy Committee um, member colleagues will be keeping an eye on, on, on things. So I'm really interested in, in what are the key events or data or other developments that you're going to be watching between now and February 28th? Yes, I mean, um, without doubt, you know, we um, we have the official dates that we can act, but um, I reminded the audience that, you know, the, the bank has uh, a history of um, saying what it needs to say when it needs to say it. So if there were um, unanticipated surprises during that period, we would be back with the market. Uh, we don't forecast that at the moment. In terms of what we're looking for, there's a wealth of data domestically and internationally. Uh, we've got you know, that lagged uh, inflation, actual inflation number. We've got the continued uh, business confidence and inflation expectations surveys that, um, that we are particularly um, interested in. And we've got uh, GDP and employment growth numbers. So you know, really good, solid data points between now and when we next um, produce a monetary policy statement. 
Uh, all of those, uh, you know, we, we are very transparent. We've got projections for all of those variables, and we're going to need to see how the, the outturns stack up to where we think we are at the moment. And we're going to have to look for continued um, subdued economic growth, uh, continued uh, supply capacity being freed up, uh, whether that's in the labour market and globally across the supply chains, and really affirming around that inflation expectations to where we need to see them. So, you know, some critical data uh, at, at an important time. Uh, we know that inflation expectations are following very closely actual inflation. So to get another CPI number uh, will be useful for us. Yeah, absolutely. And in terms of, I guess, what you sort of would need to see for you to, I guess, be a bit more relaxed, if that's one way of putting it, about the inflation outlook, what would you need to see change? Uh, I think we we need to see a lot of the numbers that we look that we are projecting actually land. So you know we would need to see that subdued growth. Uh, a good insight as well. We'd need to see what's happening to uh, the net migration. Uh, we've had incredibly strong inward migration over the first half of the calendar year. Um, the way in which this is measured now is is not straightforward. There's an algorithm updating us kind of real time. And it's showing it to start to tail off, and we need to see it tailing off to understand uh, the implications for um, demand pressure. So, you know, basically we need to see more spare capacity in the economy to have the real confidence that the inflation pressures are coming off. All the indicators are moving in the right direction, but there's a lot of news still to arrive on the table. I think in, in the monetary policy statement itself, I, th I think I, I did a word count on the, the word immigration, and I think there were 40-odd, maybe 43 mentions in the 58 or so pages mm -hmm. about immigration. And it, it really has um, boomed, that, that inward migration has boomed this year. Um, I mean, it, clearly that is something you are watching closely now in a monetary policy context and, and obviously, housing's a key factor there because obviously people who move to New Zealand, they all need somewhere to live. So whether it's a rental or they're buying a home. So I guess to, to just look at, I mean, how significant, I guess, a threat to inflation is, are you now seeing that sharp rise in migration, inward migration? Yes, uh, I think the most, and, and well spotted, it is a big topic. Uh, it's historically significant, the amount of uh, net inward migration, the population growth that we've got, and it's even internationally significant. You're seeing countries such as Australia, Canada and ourselves, those countries with strong net inward migration having the highest core inflation challenges, and in particular through the, the dwellings, the rental prices and the, the pressure on you know aggregate demand. So, you know, it's... Um, uh, it is a an important topic for us. Uh, it's um, you know it's not straightforward. The very first part is the inward migration has significantly supported our labour market. You know we were so short of workers, uh, and that was leading to uh, wage inflation pressures. And but more importantly, bottlenecks right across all activity. So, you know, the context which with this migration boom that we're having has been very useful. It has loosened up that labour supply and we're seeing wage growth having peaked and, and the potential capacity of the economy growing. 
But now, over recent months, the impact on the demand side rather than the supply side of the economy is becoming more and more evident. We're seeing per capita spending decline. So we are doing it tough in New Zealand, but we're seeing total spending rising because there are more people spending. There are more people in the economy. Uh, so we've seen that aggregate demand hold up much stronger, explaining a stronger than expected GDP profile. Uh, and also we're seeing that, that rental dwellings holding up. So, you know, these are uh, really important parts of the homegrown inflation story. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be that balance between supply and demand. And um, while supply was winning, demand is coming back into the second round. Yeah, absolutely. Now, look, obviously, since March 2018, when you became governor of the Reserve Bank, you've had um, two targets in your monetary policy remit of uh, inflation, of course, um, which is consumer price index inflation between 1% and 3% over the medium term with a focus on the 2% midpoint. And you've also yep. um, been tasked with supporting maximum sustainable employment. Now, obviously, we've, we've got a new government and they want to remove the maximum sustainable employment remit. I'm just wondering how different would Reserve Bank monetary policy settings have been over the period since you've been governor if that maximum sustainable employment um, mandate hadn't been there? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Um, you know, under, under both um, constructs, inflation is the primary um, target where to uh, you know we're aimed at um, uh, maintaining low and stable inflation whilst contributing to maximum sustainable employment so there is a hierarchy um, within there uh, but obviously it's created communication challenges and this government is saying let's clear it up and just have to go back to the one inflation how different would have it been on the decisions uh, i can confidently say no different to what we've been doing over the last X years that you mentioned, why can I say that confidently? It's just that we haven't had a trade-off between inflation or employment or unemployment um, over that period. That just happens to be the economic context we're at. In all cases, both inflation and employment were on the same side of the equation. So tightening or loosening policy, um, there was no trade-off involved. That's not to say that couldn't happen in the future. You can't, You could be in positions where um, inflation is very high, but unemployment may be rising as well, and, and you have to bite the bullet and, and trade one off versus the other, which would be um, aiming for that low inflation. So over the last few years, no, the challenges to us haven't been our mandate. They've been everything else. <laughs> They've been a few. <laughs> um, yes. Look, obviously the um, consumer's price index um, – that you obviously track very closely. Um, it, it, it went through the RBNZ target range in June 2021, rising to 3.3%, peaked at 73 in June of 2022 from memory, and in the last September quarter this year was down to, to 5.6%. So it seems to have peaked and be, be trending down. Um, I, I, I'm quite interested in the um, how you... You know, to what extent do you attribute your OCR increases um, to that fall and how you, you measure that? And I'm quite interested in this um, in the context that um, Joseph Stiglitz, who you'll be well aware of, the, the Nobel Laureate in Economics and Columbia University professor, he recently wrote an article, and he was, to be fair, he was talking about the US. Um, but, you know, 
I'm, I think it's still of some relevance to us. And he was saying there that raising interest rates didn't address the problem we faced, which was supply side and demand shift inflation. If anything, disinflation has happened despite central banks' actions, not because of them. I'm just wondering, like, in a New Zealand context, what do you make of those comments and, and how much do you think those rate hikes you've done have actually driven inflation lower? Yes, well, I think, you know, the underlying part of what um, Stiglitz is saying there is uh, uh, have some humility around what monetary policy can or can't achieve. And, um, and I certainly buy into that humility. Um, over a long period of time, uh, headline inflation has been held down lower than otherwise because of global prices declining in large part what I would call the, the, the China inflation dividend. You know, basically three decades now of falling prices for real goods coming out of the sudden uh, uh, engine of economic production being China. That is, is now largely running its course. And so central bankers can't just rely on higher than otherwise domestic inflation saved by lower than otherwise um, imported inflation. Uh, so, you know, that is a focus for us. So even though headline inflation has come off, we remain concerned around the homegrown domestic core part of inflation because we can't just rely on the hope that commodity prices or goods prices will always come and save the day. Uh, looking through the impact of monetary policy, I agree with uh, Joseph Stiglitz that supply shocks were an incredibly important part of the inflation story over the last seven to eight years, you know, unprecedented stop and start, bottlenecks, uh, complete global shutdowns, so on and so forth, constraining the supply. Uh, but I would, wouldn't go the whole way of saying that demand hasn't played a critical role because uh, globally government fiscal policies, uh, wage subsidies, uh, business support schemes, uh, automatic stabilisers, as well as unprecedented low interest rates created demand, uh, created asset prices, created wealth, created spending. And so it's a combination of the two that tells the whole story. Going forward, what have we seen um, since, uh, since 2022, really, when we've been tightening? We've seen an incredible restraint come in because of the monetary policy tightening globally. You've seen asset prices shift significantly back, particularly house prices. You're seeing spending per person declining. You're seeing business investment and credit growth slowing rapidly. Um, so, you know, monetary policy really is a, an important part of why inflation is declining now, assisted by some of those um, supply bottlenecks and global commodity prices. So it's a combo, um, but we can only Im um, impact the main domestic part. Yep, absolutely. Um, and um, I guess looking looking ahead, um, there's a, a school of thought around that we're in a in a more uncertain world now than we were, um, I guess, a few years ago. There's there's obviously the the the, the push to uh, net zero with our economies and and the changes that that's going to bring in. That this whole sort of um, geopolitical tension between the US and China and other events around the world and, and, and various uncertainties. Do you think that we are in a world now, I mean, obviously we had very low inflation for, for quite a long time leading into to 
the COVID pandemic and obviously the questions you you would have been getting pre that were, you know, you've got, if anything, inflation's too low, it's below your target. Um, it would appear that we're not going back to that world anytime soon. I mean, or do you think we might? What, what, what are your longer term views for the inflation outlook? I'm I'm extremely confident that um, the globe is heading heading back to a period of low and stable inflation, uh, but it may be generated by more monetary policy central bank focus than that China inflation dividend we've talked about. If you look at the history of New Zealand's inflation, you know we've been averaging somewhere you know around two percent, if not a bit bit lower, for a long period of time. But that was at a time when what we call our non-tradable inflation, the, the domestic homegrown component primarily, was at 3% or more, and tradable's inflation was negative. And so, so you know, we were being helped out and assisted by those, those positive trade winds um, primarily from China. Uh, looking ahead, it just means that we have to have more focus on the domestic inflation component. Um, not necessarily being able to rely continuously on on a on a whole new labour force being discovered somewhere, but the low and stable inflation still, you know, that is the only and obvious goal. Uh, a lot of concern where people get confused is the difference between generalised inflation, where all prices are, are rising, we're all double guessing each other, versus relative prices shifting. And relative prices need to move. You know, they signify quality, quantities, um, um, uh, supply. You know, that's that's what relative prices do. But it doesn't need to lead to aggregate inflation. So, um, no, I'm still fully convinced the world is heading back to low and stable inflation, but there may be higher interest rates on average to achieve that. There's been a lot of discussion and debate over the last couple of years about... Um, what's been referred to as profit-led inflation or seller's inflation, excuseflation, or some call it greedflation. Um, I'm interested to what extent you, you believe that this has played a role in New Zealand's um, current bout of high inflation. Yeah, I, I, I love all of those words because um, uh, we just used to call that um, inflation expectations and, and generalised inflation. So uh, whenever... Um, whenever you've got high inflation, people can hide um, price rises, even though it's not something specific to their good or service. They can um, get away with um, high and variable inflation. They can start shifting relative prices around. And then that leads to more generalised inflation as, as, you know, input costs rise and wage costs rise and so on. And it's that scramble and mess that causes uh, long-term inflation problems. And so I would say, all of those things have been happening in New Zealand as they have been everywhere else. Um, you know, people wanting to just try and catch up. There's been a sense also that um, as we shifted away from just consuming goods and we're allowed to start consuming services again, and with the labour shortages and, and stuff, as we've gone back into visiting restaurants and going out and entertaining and so on, there's been that real sense of catch up as well going on. So, um, you know, that this is the challenge for monetary policy. We have to lean against that desire to uh, um, tuck a little price increase in behind, in behind generalised inflation, hoping no one notices. Um, you know, consumers have to be laser-like focused and, and think, well, is that, is that right? Should I be shopping somewhere else? 
On the profit margins, uh, New Zealand, particularly across large sectors, are very high profit um, relative to globally and relative to the risks they manage. And this is one of the challenges of being in a small open economy when you can only have you know, X number of supermarkets and Y number of major banks and so on. Um, keeping that competitive pressure in those sectors is, it should be a continued focus for policymakers. Yeah, earlier in the year when you were asked about this at one of the um, monetary policy um, statement press conferences, yourself and, and Paul Conway, the Reserve Bank Chief Economist, said that the data measuring this sort of profit-led inflation is, isn't good. Is there anything that could be done to improve it? Uh, yeah, I mean, more and more micro data is, uh, is critically important. The data's there. Um, it's just the accessibility and turning it into information has been is, is a significant challenge around privacy, around uh, big data management, et cetera. But I personally, I think this is going to be a, a problem of the past in three to, three to five years' time. You know, we are moving very, very quickly um, globally and, and here in New Zealand and to be able to access these data, data streams whilst managing the privacy concerns, et cetera, to see where it is. But at the aggregate level, you know, across some of the sectors, uh, you know, it, it, we know enough to be able to say these are high profit areas, these are high margin areas, especially relative to the risk taken. Um, so, you know, the, I don't, I think the burden of proof is largely there. It's more about what do you do about it. Um, and a large part, it's just that, um, you know, one or two firms can get in with very low cost to income ratios because of the scalar first century benefits and um, and that makes it incredibly difficult for uh, competitive new competitors um, or for people to shop somewhere else now obviously um, it's been an extraordinary time in the world in in recent years and, and obviously on the heels of the covid pandemic we had the the Russian invasion of Ukraine and um, Europe was an area that was really hard hit by soaring energy prices and, and obviously, like New Zealand, high food prices. We saw quite a lot of countries in Europe introduce price controls or price caps, which is sort of hearsay to a lot of economists. Um, I'm just wondering, can you envisage any sort of ex extreme circumstances in New Zealand where some sort of price controls might actually be a way to help the Reserve Bank fight inflation? Uh, I would be hugely reluctant to the, you know, go there because once you start mucking around with the relative prices, you start to really distort the use, you know, resource allocation. And we go into all sorts of funny little um, rabbit holes. Um, you know, we came out of probably one of the world's largest rabbit holes in the early 1980s here in New Zealand once we started to control one price and then so on and so forth. We do control prices here. For example, um, we control the cost of cash um, through the official cash rates. So that's a, you know, a really significant role for us as a reserve bank to play it. I'd be focusing more on how to um, create competitiveness and productivity rather than how to um, block prices. Competitiveness around making sure digital access, um, uh, data access, um, you know, open banking is a, is a classic example. Those types of activities are far more important. Access for producers to end retailers, you know, the types of work that we're seeing going on 
I think that is going to be far more long-term sustainable and productive than um, than running around with um, trying to find places to put price caps on. Price caps, you know, they, they have a role, but they would be at an extreme end and, and for very limited purpose, um, I, I would suggest. Just on that note, I mean, you're, you're sort of touching a bit on, on competition, the open banking. I mean, we've obviously got a Commerce Commission market study into retail banking competition underway now, looking at uh, or focusing on deposit accounts and home loans. Um, what do you expect to come out of that? Uh, I think uh, I would love a lot more um, transparency and sensible discussion about what is going on. Um, there's too many partial indicators, partial discussions that go on um, with regard you know, to banking and, and asset prices and house prices in particular in New Zealand. Uh, I think um, you know, there will be focus on ourselves and, and regulators. How are our standards um, creating barriers to entry to competition? But more importantly, um, you know, I think that's going to be at the margin, trading off stability versus competition. Uh, but you know, the bigger ones are about how can you entrants compete where there is such a cost to income differential across the banks. The big four banks' cost to income is you know half that of the next tier of banks. And so, you know, unless you can have the um, access to customer um, data, access to digital digital services and products, you'll never break that down. And New Zealand will be paying too much and our services will be declining through time. So, you know, there's time for some ongoing and forever disruption. Banks have been waiting for it for decades. It's still never really come. And, um, you know, some of that... Uh, some of that, um, I would say, it's very close to changing over the next couple of years. Yeah, you, you mentioned, um, touched on housing. Um, one of the things that's obviously in the um, monetary policy remit is also to um, assess the effects of monetary policy on the government's objective of supporting sustainable house prices. I'm just wondering, I mean, this was a bit controversial and obviously came in at a time when house prices were very, very high and, and rising in 2020. Mm. Should this be something that Reserve Bank monetary policy is required to do? Uh, I, I would say, uh, no, it doesn't have to be written in our mandate. But yes, in practice, we should be thinking about what is happening to the housing market, both for the straight construction activity and all the multipliers that come with it, and also the wealth impact, because you know equity in the home is still the largest component of total wealth in this economy. So when house prices are going up, people are feeling chipper and they tend to spend more. So we always have to have regard to that. You're right, that um, piece, that, that sentence came in during a very difficult time when house prices were literally you know, out of control on the way up. This fear of missing out was, was a frothing frenzy. So... Um, you know, to to really highlight it. The good news um, that, that came out of all of that was um, working with other government departments, uh, the New Zealand Treasury, Housing Urban Development Authority, and some other groups uh, for some really excellent joint research. And uh, gee, guess what? Um, the single biggest um, impact on house prices is the access to space to build. Unless we are getting access to space, houses 
and housing will always lag population growth and there will always be an outsized impact of interest rate changes on house prices. So, um, you know, uh, not in my backyard and not on my watch have been the two biggest constraints on, on housing uh, in New Zealand for so long and that will forever remain our problem um, unless we confront it. Density and new space, higher up, so on and so forth is critical to, um, to people being able to dwell um, here in New Zealand. Back to the OCR uh, increases. I mean, obviously, um, for, for people who, who are borrowers, they hit you at some point. I mean, for someone like myself with a fixed-term mortgage, obviously there's that monetary policy lag that you often talk about. Uh, until I refix my mortgage, it doesn't hit me, then it gives me a good, it give a good punch on the nose. Um, but if, if I'm not a borrower... Uh, how does the OCR hike influence me? And, and I mean, I guess I'm, what I'm getting to here is I, I see there's been a, a bit of discussion in Australia about um, how uh, baby boomers who are savers and don't have mortgages are, are pushing inflation up because they're out there spending their, their money. Um, so I'm wondering, I mean, is there a bit of an inequity between the impact of, of monetary policy and, and would you would you be telling you know people baby boomers or others in New Zealand in, in those positions to uh, call their jets? Uh, yeah, I mean you know the first thing to say is absolutely there are inequities involved with monetary policy. It's a blunt tool. It um, you know there's only the one price for across the whole economy, and then it depends where you're standing in the economy, whether it's the demographic issue, whether you're a borrower or a saver, a homeowner or a renter, um, fixed income or, or, or on some kind of bonus or salary scheme, you know, you know, so it is, you know, the, the outcomes vary so much across society, but they don't vary as much as high inflation. Um, if high inflation hits, then everyone loses and on a continuous and worsening situation. Low inflation, at least brings it down where you can see relative versus aggregate inflation. Businesses can invest, businesses can employ, nominal wages can grow in real terms um, rather than just um, going backwards and so on and so forth. So, you know, it's um, low and stable inflation, single monetary policy, I like to think is, you know, the worst um, tool except for the alternatives. <laughs> so, um, you know, that, that's where we are at in a society. The more people can have low inflation expectations, then um, then the less work monetary policy has to do. The more productive an economy is, then the more supply capacity and the less constraining monetary policy needs to be. So, you know, there's inequities, but it's better than the alternative, um, significantly better. On the demographic one, uh, you know, yes, savers, um, and I'm pleased to hear that, savers, um, can benefit from higher interest rates. Uh, we only ever hear about those who are not benefiting from it. Um, so that is, you know, that is an income part. There are many other things driving, um, you know, baby boomers in your language uh, spending, uh, and often that's not driving it up. It's actually driving it down. Your demands and your needs for life tend to tend to slow down significantly. Your desire to travel, your desire to be out every evening, um, um, you know, it gets very, very quiet later in life. So, you know, I'm not so concerned about their marginal propensity to consume out of additional wealth. Um, it's it's more about um, the, the, the middle people in the labour force, people being employed, 
people employing are, are the big drivers, big swings of the economy. So look, I thought, Adrian, would just if I ask you to sort of get your crystal ball out, if we're sitting here a year from now and talking about monetary policy, what would be your ideal scenario for where things were at? Uh, the very first direction would be what we've put in our, in our monetary policy statement. I would love to see inflation back under our 3%, and we expect to be there by the second half of next year, so back in our target band, and employment and, uh, and economic growth to still be positive. Uh, so that would be a, a, an amazing soft landing in the language. And then that would give us the confidence that, you know, monetary policy really has done its bit and we can start easing back to a more neutral stance um, with interest rates. And sitting under all of that, I'd love to see productivity growth being talked about more and more often, about how to make the potential growth of the economy go faster rather than just us cycling around an otherwise insipid um, uh, neutral interest rate. Absolutely. And based on your answer there, where would a neutral level for the OCR be now? Uh, well, we're saying it's about 2.5%. But even then, I feel that's historically low. Um, a very long-term interest rate, it's always the easiest way I think about it, is what would be a long-term potential real growth rate for the economy? And then what is the low and stable inflation rate? Add the two together and you should have a long-term neutral interest rate. So in the good old days, we used to say three plus two, three percent real GDP growth plus two percent inflation equals a five percent long-term neutral nominal interest rate. That has been a long time since I've said a number like that. You know, most people are now talking about three and a half percent, you know, which is some kind of one and a half growth, one and a half inflation. So you can see how the potential growth rate of, of uh, planet Earth has been edging down year after year after year. And a large part of that is the demographics and a large part of that is the declining productivity growth rates. Well, look, Adrian, thanks so much for that. That is Adrian Orr, Governor of the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, and I'm Gareth Vaughan from interest.co.nz with another of our Bob Interest podcasts. <laughs>